welcome to the Junction Church Aberdeen podcast. We're so glad you chose to listen to this life-changing message. Well, it's nice to be in the Junction. In the Junction. Do you remember that song? In the, no, okay, it's too old. Um, Kevin Upton tweeted the best tweet in the whole world ever about my visit here. I was so proud of that tweet. Could somebody just take that one away and maybe that one? Because I'm bound to knock all that over. So if you could remove that, that would be great. Don't hurry. There's <laughs> plenty of time. Thank you. That's appreciate. Now, see, now I can go right over here and annoy you lot. Yeah. He tweeted the best tweet ever. He said, I've retweeted it and I will continue to do so. He said, We've got Scott Wilson coming to the junction. He is the Jeremy Clarkson of the church world. That was awesome, mate. I thank you very much. Uh, He could have said the Jeremy Kyle, but he chose the Jeremy Clarkson. And you know what I think? I think you're that little fella in... uh... What's his name? Richard Hammond. The Richard Hammond of the... All right, okay. Well, it has been a great weekend. I got in here Friday um, and we hung out for a while and and did dinner and talked about a few things. And then Saturday we hung out and did some work. And then uh, in the night we had a leaders meeting, um, which was fantastic. Hearing the church this morning, being in the house again, it's just so good to feel the health and the vibrancy of your church. Always has been a vibrant powerful, spirit-filled church, and it still is after all these years. But the great thing is, when you look at all that's going on, the church is healthy and growing. All, if I can say this in the right way, all the numbers are right, so to speak. If you're a doctor doing a medical checkup, you check out some numbers to make sure everything is good with your blood system and stuff like this. We've done that, and it's all good. Did you know you had 34 baptisms last year? Um, You might miss all that because you only see a few each time they're done. But 34 is a really good number of baptisms. It shows you're building a church and that people are connecting. And uh, that sort of thing is very healthy. So um, well done. Good on you. But you're ready for the word, right? All right. I want to get started. I want to go to Matthew 21 verse 12. Very well known verse. And just have another look at it if we can. Here it is here. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all those who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. Every time I've heard somebody talk about that verse, they emphasize it's a It's a house of prayer. They emphasize prayer. It's prayer. Why don't we pray? Why don't we, if we pray, God will answer all that we do. If we spent time in prayer, and by the way, we must, but that's not what the verse says. It says with double emphasis, my house shall be a house. And then it's de-emphasized prayer. That's what it says. I can actually prove that to be true 
because the same story is mentioned in John chapter 2, verse 17. And this is what it says there in John 2.17. Of this verse they go on, it says, and it says in uh, 2.17, and they remembered he would have zeal for his house. It would consume him. It's eating him up. Not prayer, house. Why? Because there's a big difference between prayer and building a house. In fact, I would say to you, I would suggest at this time, prayer is easy. It's a cop-out. You know, hey, are you winning the lost? Yes, I pray for them every day. Are you a spiritual person? Yes, I pray every day. Cop-out. So simple to do. In fact, Paul said, I pray without ceasing. Everywhere I go, I pray. Nothing worse, pastors, than trying to build something for the kingdom of God. For example, uh, first fruits offering is, is building into the kingdom of God. And somebody says, I love what you're doing. I can't get involved, but I'm praying for you. <laughs> Do you hear that one? It's rubbish, isn't it? It's rubbish. And I'll tell you why. Because building a house is a whole lot harder. He had zeal for his house. And sometimes we can... We can go into the prayer thing and forget the housework. We, we actually can sometimes think the housework is unessential. Prayer is more important. Now, they're both equals. But I want to talk to you today about building a house. He can talk about prayer. I want to talk about building a house because that's the hard work. We're here to join with Jesus in his work of building a house. He had zeal for his house. Gotcha? So this is what I want to do. Now, sometimes when you talk about something like this and you want to get something to stick, the best things to do is to do opposites, you know? So you talk about what it's not. That's a good idea when you're trying to reinforce a truth. This is what it's not. So today what I'm going to do is walk through, through this whole thing and and just share with you what the house is not. Is that clear? So as we see what it's not, we can see what it could be. So here's the first one. The house is not a boat. It's not a boat. These are simple ideas, you know. Not hard. But it's interesting because most people, I think, not most, some treat the house a bit like a boat. Now, my family and I, we went to New Zealand where we originated. We've got family down there. And um, my brother-in-law has got this huge boat, this yacht thing. And uh, I said, and in New Zealand, you know, the fishing and stuff is just brilliant. I mean, you just chuck a line over the edge of the boat and you can catch fish. So he said, hey, shall I take the, the kids, my kids out? Well, they were like in their 30s, 28, 30 at that time. It was just a few years ago. And they'd never been fishing in their whole life. What a bad father, hey? Never been. Now, I've taken them to discos. We've gone and smoked dope together. We've got drunk. But never have I taken them fishing. Just incredible when you think about it. They'd not been fishing. So they're like, yeah, we want to go fishing. So I said to Tim, so Tim, where are we going? And this is what he did. Like that. He went like that. He said, what's that mean? He said, oh, we, we don't have a map. We just go where we go. We just go where we feel. We just go 
where it takes us. There's no plan to this. We just feel our way. Are you getting the point? Can't do that with a house. But some people do that with the church. Sunday morning, wonder where I'll go today. The spiritual kangaroos of life who jump from one thing to the next. Or as soon as the emotion of the event does not fulfill their particular need, they're off to the next experience. Conference, church, whatever it is. When you build a house, it's long-term commitment. It is a place of permanency. The house is a place. You know these people? Kevin, they just want to feel lead. Well, I'll give you a piece of lead right around the side of the head if you want to feel some lead. They just want to feel lead. I don't get that I want to feel lead thing. In a house, you don't feel lead. You do what you have to do to make the house work. But people treat it like a boat. I just want to be led. In fact, I think sometimes Jesus gets the blame for stuff that has mostly to do with our own flesh. I just feel Jesus is telling me. But actually, it's our flesh wanting to get out of a house into a boat. Just go where I feel, thanks very much. Just go where I want to, thanks very much. You can't tell me what to do, thanks very much. That's the thing about a house. There's stuff to do. Isn't that amazing? And I think the problem is that people forget that it's a place. Oh, didn't that come up? The place of, you done it? Look at that. It's a place of permanency. Loved it last night when I was with the leaders and I was able to go through how many leaders in that particular meeting at least had been here for the last 15 years or so. Fantastic to see that. That's a permanency. That means you've got to ride with the hard and you've got to ride with the good. That means there's challenges that you are facing that are difficult, but you've chosen to go through. But in the boat mentality, soon as there's a little bit of pressure, well, I'm out. Jesus had zeal for his house. The house is not an aeroplane. Do you know, this world, I reckon today, is so different, challenging and exciting because of what's happened in the airline industry. It's phenomenal. You think about it. Uh, Maybe some of the younger people here don't think about it as much as maybe I would. When you used to fly, you had these, to fly anywhere around and, and, and get a good price, you had to do the weekend over thing. Do you remember that? Midweek was high prices, and you always had to plan to be a weekend away to get the low prices. Now you can fly anywhere you like on a one-way ticket. Not only that, you can pull up an app, and you can look at all sort of multiple engine drives to pick out the best price. I've got many of them on my phone, and when I'm looking to go, you know, I've got to go to Russia in a couple of weeks, and the airline company cancelled the flight, and I'm looking, and I can just cruise around and say, I can fix that. It's only, And it was like £100 to get up to St. Petersburg or something. What's all that about? It's awesome. Great days. We could travel here. We were like, and so we're getting used to traveling on airlines. I'm on, I'm on a plane almost every day, and you have to really make that exciting. I know that some of you think it must be very exciting. It's not. It is the most boring thing. So I play games. I, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll notice one of the things I do, I have a goal to be first on every plane. 
It is a goal I have, and I have a, a rate of, um, I think it's, I think 2012, my rate of first on plays was 81%, which is very high. I've beat wheelchairs on planes, I'm telling you. I'm fast. I got told off once because I skipped in front of the wheelchair, but I just wanted to get my rate up. I think this year I was down to about 74%. So it's a bit lower. I got a bit lazy. But I've got to, you know, it's just something you do while you're waiting in the lounge. You, you move up. I've noticed a few other business guys are probably in the same genre as me because we sort of tussle at the front a bit, you know, I'm moving in. And, and two of us actually really went fast down the gangplank once we were. But you've got to do something because it's boring. And plane flight travel today with cheap flights and all of this if you're on one of those it's not much fun because you get these weird people on the plane you get students who take their shoes off and they haven't washed their socks or the or the really big people that sit in the middle oh you know what I'm talking about what about those people who when they get up every time they pull on the back of your seat to get up then let it go and your head goes you hate those and see you know and the ones who push on the TV those TV screens in front of you they're a great invention but they're a killer after 12 hour flight when you're trying to sleep and somebody's going like that <laughs> on the flights the worst I think of all is what I call the rucksack people now these rucksack people generally are socially inept they have no idea that they are carrying this dirty great freaking backpack and they'll turn around in a queue boom and knock 15 people over and some of you out there are rucksack people I hate them and they'll do it in shops too have you ever been in a boots with a rucksack piece they'll knock five people out of the queue and they won't even think about it but the worst rucksack people are the rucksack people with the dangly bits you can miss the whole rucksack and get whacked in the eye with a dangly bit. Then, they're always last on the plane, the rucksack people. And they're the ones whipping around, knocking everybody over, or hitting them with the things. And then they can't find a spot. And that's when I say, you should have been like me, first on. Then you've got a spot for your rucksack. That's why I'm first on. My bag is always where it should be. I never walk on, unless I'm travelling with my wife. She's a rucksack person and usually comes last. And then she goes, where am I going to put my bag? <laughs> and guess who's left to look after it? This is why we don't travel much together. And other reasons. Mainly me. The truth is, of course, is that the plane is to get you somewhere. You just It's about getting to the next point. Church is not about getting to the next point only. Because in the plane, who gives a rip really about who's sitting next to you? You just want to get to the next point. I do, I buckle up. I don't really want to talk to anybody because it's a fleeting moment. It's an hour, maybe two, and you're out. And by the way, some of the talks I have had to the people next to me wished I'd never started. <laughs> These are lonely people with a rucksack, and they are just a problem, honestly. So, but... So it's just a matter of getting point to point, no interaction. His, his, the house is a place of relationship. It's a place of relationship. And this is why I think, Kevin, people don't stick. I think the challenge they have is they don't stick. 
because it means they've got to face people. You have a look at people that aren't permanent and it's because of a relational issue every time. Every time. They can't work it out. They just can't. They treat it like an aeroplane, getting off now. Instead of deciding, I'm living in a house with other people and I'm going to have to make this work. I'm going to have to work this out. I'm going to have to learn conflict resolution, which, by the way, is the first thing Jesus taught us about how to do church. When he used the word church, one of the first things he says was, when you have a problem against each other, go work it out. You know, this is the challenge of building a house. Hey, isn't prayer easy when you think about it? You don't have to ever relate to anyone, but feel really good about yourself while you pray in your basement and never talk to another person. So simple. But building a house, not interested. Doesn't make sense. Jesus had zeal for his house. He Actually, I don't think he gives a rip about how much you pray, but that's another message. The house is not a ceremony. I preached a message some years ago, and it went like this. The measure of your spirituality isn't based on how much you pray, fast, give, or worship. It's based on how quick you can change. Think about it. I've met some so-called real spiritual people. Fast all the time, pray all the time, read their Bible all the time, but talk about changing the color on that wall? Not a chance. So-called spiritual magnitudes. The house is not a ceremony. The house is not a ceremony. I come home, you know, and it's an amazing thing. I get home. When I get there, it used to be like this. The kids have gone now, but generally they'd be standing outside, dressed up really nicely. Red carpet would be out, and I would walk up the carpet, and there would usually be a trumpeter playing something. Sometimes a guy in a kilt with a set of bagpipes, but that Linda didn't like the dress stuff. So, but I'd walk in, and they'd all bow. Then I'd walk in, and there'd be a big table set. And it would be, we'd have a ceremony. It was one. What do you reckon? There's no, people love ceremony, pomp and circumstance. They struggle, I think, with contemporary church. Where's the stuff? Yeah, don't go there with the pomp and ceremony. Where's the stuff? Why doesn't the pastor wear robes? It'd be better than the stuff he's got on now. I'm a lumberjack and I'm okay. He's got a So, where's all the paraphernalia? Where are the candles? Where are the. See, they're locked into the ceremony and forget actually it's a house. The house is an informal place. It's a place, an informal. It means when we come here, we're meant to enjoy what goes on, not suffer it or endure it, but be in it. That's a house. Well, I like the ceremony. I want some pomp and circumstance. I want to to have the old hymns. I want to go back in the traditional times. I want to have robes and candles and stuff. You know what I've noticed? When people leave a contemporary church for any issue, they never normally move up in church life. They usually go backwards in church life. Every time I've noticed, they never go on to a greater thing. They usually go back into a traditional thing. And I've got no problem with that. But we're not into ceremony 
It's never going to happen because the house is informal. It's about relationships of permanency where together we do life. We learn about each other. We love each other. We laugh with each other. But that's another reason why people don't like house building because I'd rather do the ceremony, say that's my church stuff done and now I'm out. But we do this. So you'll notice in churches like ours, there's, there's time to interact and talk and it's relaxed and you can laugh. Well, this church has always been like that, actually. In the times I've been coming, I think it's a fantastic place to just enjoy our, our friendships together. And uh, you've, always, you've always had a good spirit with this. Um, you know, when Toronto was around, uh, or what I, I guess some of you wouldn't recognize what I'm talking about, but many years ago there was a move of God where everybody would start laughing in church. And I reckon it's because God got bored in church too with the ceremony and the dull, dullness of what we were doing. And he said, let's liven this up a bit. I was saved into a church where the pastor had to preach two messages in a row on that it's quite okay to smile. Now, that's not laughing, that's smiling. I never had a problem with that. I smiled and laughed all the time, got into trouble, and I said, the one thing I did say when I got saved on the first day was, dear Jesus, please don't make me like these people. I'd like to be just not them. Isn't that a horrible place to be? But when you come to a church, it's informal. You've got to look around and say, you know, I can fit in here. These people are normal people. These people, I can enjoy them and have fun with them. I could go out and paintball the ones I don't like later on. <laughs> and Hattie, you got it wrong. Where are you? You got it so wrong. You said it's for the blokes. Girls like to chip. I'm telling you, there's women in here that would love to take a gun out and shoot some men. Serious. And can I also add, there's some men that would love to shoot some women. But definitely not with a paintball gun. Something a bit better than that. The house is not a hotel. One year I stayed in 261 different hotels. Two, because I'm numbers guy, you know that. I record all these things, I go through them, look at 261. In fact, one pastor said to me, it's really sad when you finish with us and say, can I go home now? Which is the hotel room. You don't mean home, you mean to the hotel room. Yeah, well it becomes home. Sort of what I, it's my house for a while. Now it's cut back now, never do that again, that was too much. You get to the stage, actually, when you're pumping into hotels every day. You start to go to the 18th floor in the Marriott, put your Sheraton key in on the room that you were in yesterday. <laughs> People don't like that. And, you're trying to, and, you, and then you go back down to the desk. You have to go, oh, flip, I've got to go all the way down. You go to the, my key won't work. And they say, well, this is the Marriott. That's a Sheraton key. Oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. Then you find you're on the fifth floor and stuff like this. There's, you know... I love hotels, though, because the great thing about a hotel is when you get into a hotel, well, you know what I've noticed about hotels? I guess you have, too. All these pillows everywhere, cushions everywhere. What's this cushion thing? You go into the beds now, there's 17 cushions. <laughs> Who's, who invented this? What, what happened to the old days? Just a cushion and a cushion. Now, not now. 
I love to just throw them. I throw them everywhere. I'm telling you, you'll find them up on the TV set. I throw them around. I do. I throw them everywhere. Because I don't have to pick them up. It's genius. Throw them. But the best part is the bathroom area. They call it a wet room. Do you know why? Because you can get it wet. When I have a shower and you can take the head off the shower, I spray the roof. I'm telling you, you, you might laugh, this is true. It'll drip from the roof. When I have a bath, I love to have a bath. I'm a bit British. I tape up the plug hole where the water goes. You know when you lie in a bath and you get in there and this bit's still not in the water? This bit. You're in there and you're all warm to there and this bit is... In your th- Do you know why? Because it's going down that hole. I carry tape with me and I plug that hole up. Then I climb it and then it goes over the edge. Seriously, this is absolutely true. Just a few months ago I was in Britain. I walked in and checked into this hotel. Who was I with that time? Can't remember. It was really funny. And they, I said, I want a bath. And they said, oh, you haven't got any room for a bath. I said, no, you've got to give me a bath. Please, I need to have a bath. What about a shower? I said, well, I like a bath. Well, we've found one for you. So they put me in. So the guy checking me is like, oh, he wants a bath. Okay, we'll get a bath. So I get in the bath. I'm, I'm serious. I tape up the hole. I get in the bath. I get a call halfway through the bath. So I get out. I'm soaking wet, totally knuckered. <laughs> Pick up the phone. It's the reception. Hello, Mr. Wilson? Yes. Are you having a bath? Yeah. Well, the water is coming through into reception. You're, you're actually... What do you mean? We don't know what you're doing up there, but it's actually in reception. We'll need to take you out of the room. I'm in the bath. I'm standing here knuckered. I'm not going anywhere. I don't know what happened, but I flooded reception. When I got picked up in about half an hour, seriously, there were all these, you know, yellow health and safety things with a bucket and a mop and a drip going like that. And the driver's standing there and I said, I did that. Wet room. Hotel. Who cares? Somebody cleans it up. I just, you know, my wife, she'll go into the hotel with me. She'll come out with waterline on a trouser. Here. What are you doing in there? It's a wet room. If I try this at home, I'll tell you what, it doesn't work. <laughs> Seriously doesn't work. It just, I cannot treat the house like a hotel. I don't know what that is about, but I just don't get away with it. It's a real pain in the neck. (laughs) I've tried and tried, and I'll tell you why. Because the house is a place of responsibility. We hate that word. People don't like that word today, do they? place of responsibility and I'll tell you why in fact actually I think in the postmodern world it's become almost a word that you'd never use I'll do a section of a task I'll join a team I'll contribute this I'll do that but please don't put any responsibility on So responsibility is left to a handful who don't always take it because they want to, 
but it's just dumped on them because responsibility is a, is a weight, right? Well, last night when I was talking to the leadership team, and I want to repeat myself here this morning, the word responsibility is a key word in the message of Jesus. It's actually a word you cannot opt out of. It is a key word of the gospel. In fact, I'd summarize it like this. It is the gospel. It is the essential ingredient of the core of all that Jesus did. What do you mean? Well, you know, when Jesus died, we talk a lot about the way he died, the cross, because the Bible talks about the cross. So we have a tendency almost to super explode or push out the idea of the cross. Some people will even say, this church doesn't have a cross. And they'll usually, where's the cross? Sometimes they'll come and say, we need more preaching on the cross. And you think, well, what the flipping hang is that? Actually, the cross is the culmination of what Jesus decided to do. It was the way in those days that they killed people. What would it have been if Jesus had have died by sword? A sword through the heart. Would you hang a sword in the church around your necklace or ask, we need the preaching of the sword? Doesn't make sense. The cross was not a death that Jesus took for once in the sense the only person that ever died on a cross. In fact, around the time of Jesus' death, the historians say probably up to 800 other people died on a cross. There were at least two others with them at that time. It wasn't uncommon. And uh, historically, we know that the Romans had five types of death that they were trained skillfully in the art of doing, and each one related to certain crimes. So Jesus' death on the cross, should I say, the way he died is not important as the fact he chose to die. It happened to be on a cross. If it was a gun, would you hang a gun on the wall? Doesn't make sense. It's the cross. Well, let me put it this way to you. The big issue of what happened was in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's where Jesus interacted with his dad. Take this thing from me. This huge responsibility. It's humongous. What you're saying to me is you want me to give my life for the, for the total sin of humankind. You want me to wear that responsibility. There must be another way. But he chose the responsibility of that. Right? That's his, that's his choice. Now, after making that choice to take that responsibility of him, whether he died by sword, gun, noose, or cross is not relevant. It's he died choosing the responsibility. So I suggest to you, every time you read in the Bible the word cross, take it out or replace it or embed around it the word responsibility. Now think about it. It says, the preaching of the cross is foolishness to those who are unsaved. What does it mean? Well, how do you, you know, the preaching of the cross. The preaching of the cross. No, no, the preaching of this. The pre- here's, the, here's our preaching. Jesus died. He took responsibility for your sin. 
That's foolishness, they'll say. I haven't got any sin. What are you talking about? In this world today, I haven't got it. Why would he take responsibility for me? Who gives a rip about me? Nobody else has. That's foolishness. Not the cross. That's how he accomplished the responsibility. Hello? But it also says, pick up your cross daily. There's these Looney Tune people who walk around with big wooden crosses. Oh, I picked up my cross. It's so... What in the world are you thinking? Take the word and put around it. Here. Pick up your responsibility daily. Pick it up. No, I just want to pick up the cross, thank you, hanging around my neck. A little symbol on my T-shirt. That'll do me. Yeah, that's the trouble, isn't it? Not building a house. You're in a hotel. Come in. Lights are all switched on. Heating's working. Lovely music. See ya. I used the wet room. You pick it all up. Doesn't happen in my house. You make the mess, you clean it up. You're responsible. See the difference between a prayer meeting and house building? Actually, in prayer, there's no responsibility. You just put it on God. In the house, it's always about responsibility. Pick up your responsibility. Well, I don't have any. Oh, you do, because you have the gift of God in your life. Oh, you do, because you have the presence of God who's gifted you. Oh, you do, because you carry something of His nature. Oh, you do, because there's tasks in the house to be done. Oh, you do. And that's why he says, when you pick up your cross, responsibility, you're going to have to die every day to yourself. Because now it means on Sunday morning, when I pick up my responsibility to be early at church to open the doors, I've got to die to the fact I want to stay in bed. I've got to die to the... I'll just see what the Spirit says. I've got to die... Hello! That's building a house. The last thing is, the house is not a mansion. Love those shows on TV, everyone does, where you go into somebody's house, it's a mansion. You know, a big house, 17 bedrooms. I've watched some American shows where they say there's 17 bedrooms and 24 bathrooms. What's that about? I guess that's for wet room people. But, you know, and when they open the doors, these places are immaculate. They're never used, nothing's changed, and somebody's cleaning it every day. See, some people make the, 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 the real think that when they come to this thing, it's a mansion. Everything is spotless. Can I help you here? We're a house. Things are not clean. That's me and you. We're in a process. We're not a mansion. We're not a finished, complete work. We're not the glorious of it all. We're in process. People are still making boo-boos and mistakes because we're in a house. And in a house, it's a different thing. So it's a place of process. Let's give room for people to grow in the, in the process. Let's give room for people. I find it so disconcerting when people walk into a church and sort of put their nose in the air. But look at this over here, Pastor, and this problem over here. And what about what they're doing over there? Yep. We're sorting it out because we're in a process. We're not a mansion. We're a house. And we're cleaning it up as we go along. Give us some space. See, ladies and gentlemen, I propose to you today that the vision offering last Sunday and what you did or the first fruits offering as you call it 
was actually house building and uh, was adding value to the kingdom of God. And by the way, if you were part of that and you prayed about it, but didn't commit to it, I ask you to reconsider. Because we are in the business of joining with Jesus for that which he was consumed by, which was not your prayer meetings. It's his house. I'm consumed by that. You're consumed by that. I'm so consumed by it. Actually, it's a fanaticism to build his house. You have to really pull back when you understand his zeal for the house. But some of you, some of us, I should say, have often in the past taken the easy route of I'm on a boat, I'm on a plane. It's a mansion, and we miss the chance to build God's house. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you today for the awesome zeal that Jesus had for his house. The house, Lord, is hard work. The house takes a little bit more effort. The house involves a bit of stretch. But we're here today to enjoy and build your house. Please keep your eyes closed for a moment if you can. I want to talk to some people here today. Maybe you're here first time, maybe you've been a few times, but you've not yet crossed the line into a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you're backslidden, you're not walking with him, and it's time you recognize, actually, you know, I need to accept the preaching of the cross. Meaning, Jesus did take responsibility for me and my sin. And I want to receive it into my life. I want to receive that what he did on that cross, a culmination. Maybe you backslidden, walked away from God and you're finding your way back. And it's time to say, I want to come home. Come home to the house. Jesus is waiting right now. Everything we've done today is about this moment. And I'm going to ask you to take hold of this opportunity to just reconnect with God. If today you would say, Scott, I want to know Him. I want to come home. I want to get right with God. And you've never done that before or it's a challenge for you. That's who I'm talking to you about. But you'd say, yes, I get it. I want to come in to the house. I want to know Jesus. Quickly raise your hand right now and say, that's me you're talking about. Anybody here at all? You want to know him. You want to come home. You want to get right with him. Just lift up your hand. And say. For more information about the church, visit us online at www.thejunctionchurch.com or come along and see for yourself in one of our services.